Last summer in Iran, a prison photograph captured the nation's imagination. It showed a young man named Hodunur Lajayi. His hands and feet were shackled to a pole, and there was a glass of water a short distance away from him. Apparently, he had complained to his guards that he was thirsty. So they went and got Hodunur some water and then put the glass just out of his reach. The photograph, when it was released, went viral. And just a few weeks later, a woman named Masa Amini died while in police custody, and mass protests began. The prisoner deprived of water became a visual reminder of everything they were protesting for. Sure, regime change was the headline, but the people were also seeking small, deeply personal things freedom to make the art they want to make, dress how they want to dress, love who they want to love, say what they want to say. Until they were silenced with crackdowns and shootings and large-scale arrests, which forced them to change it up and get creative. Two months back, thousands of people in the street protested uh, against the regime or supreme leader. But now we can see some um, more creative ways to show the protest. This is someone we'll call Hussein. We spoke to him when the protests were at their height, and we reached out to him again a few weeks ago. He's still living in Tehran, and he says, if you know where to look, the green shoots of dissent are everywhere. Like... Take what happened a couple of months ago, when a rare snow fell in Tehran, and it sent everyone into the parks to play. So in these days, usually people, mostly young people, go outside to play with the snow. They uh, make uh, snowmen. But here's the thing. They weren't just making traditional snowmen. This other figure began to appear. A snowman who was hunched over, his arms wrapped around a pole, form like, you guessed it. It was formed uh, like uh, Hodanur Lajayi. Hodanur, the prisoner whose photo went viral. And that made me so emotional. You see people uh, are playing with snow, but at the same time they are thinking of protesters who are not between us today. And it isn't just snowmen. Hodunarla Jayi seems to pop up in the most unexpected places now. Students have been recreating his tortured pose in flash mobs on campus. On the soccer pitch, players have taken to seating themselves like Hodunor after they score a goal. Isolated acts by ordinary people. Impossible to stop because... It's hard to predict when they'll happen or where. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. Today, the new shape of protests in Iran. Last year's street demonstrations have been replaced by a sort of whack-a-mole resistance, small, isolated acts of defiance that the government has been unable to silence. Stay with us. 
If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. There was a progression in Iran's protest movement. It began in the universities, moved into the streets, and then after the crackdowns, people found community online. So it isn't surprising that the authorities followed them there, targeting one of the few ways ordinary people could hope to escape the regime's heavy-handed censors with VPNs, or virtual private networks. So they've always disrupted VPNs, but now what we see is like a daily aggressive effort on their part to do it. Mani Mostofi is an Iranian lawyer and human rights advocate. He leads the Mion Group, which, among other things, helps Iranians stay protected online. And the VPN helps with that because it's a kind of digital head fake. You log on to it and it hides your IP address, making it look like you're logging in from somewhere else. Like, you could log in from Tehran, but the VPN makes it look like you're in Texas. That essentially masks your activity online and allows you to log into websites that Iran is banned, like Instagram or Facebook. The kinds of social media where viral protests can gather, which is part of why finding a working VPN in Iran and staying on it is getting harder and harder. We talk to and work with a lot of these VPN providers, and you know they are really struggling to keep up with both the demand but also the tactics of the government. Normally, you can expect a VPN to work for weeks, months even. But in Iran, Mani says he's seeing VPNs go down after just a few hours. And this isn't just about a company's infrastructure, capacity. This is about attacks by the regime. The way the Iranian government is handling these moments is by just making the overall environment more restrictive. And I'm sure there are people who have these videos or document these acts of civil disobedience that we don't see in part because they're not getting online or or they're just being discouraged, right? They don't want to try the 10th VPN. But that's not always efficient, attacking one VPN at a time. They could eventually do it. They could eventually block that VPN. It's just like, how much energy do they need to put into doing it successfully? So the government appears to be getting just a little bit sneakier. Consider the case of Argo. Then we saw a couple months later, more recently, attacking of a very popular VPN called Argo VPN, um, which was doing better than other VPNs and getting people online during all of this crisis. Argo, like the Ben Affleck movie. Remember, it was about Canada hiding Americans in Tehran during the hostage crisis. And all of a sudden, fake versions of our Argo VPN were circulating, and those fake versions were stealing people's users. They were forms of spyware. Social engineering at its best. 
Here's a free VPN. All you have to do is click. It very strategically uses people's own desperation to get online against them to make the internet less secure for them. But it isn't just VPNs. When Elon Musk announced he'd introduced Starlink internet access in Iran, state-sponsored hackers began creating fake links. Click here and you can download Starlink on your phone, your computer, it said. And then when you clicked, malware was loaded on your device. Accessing database. They're also just generally trying to slow down communications, both inside the country and, it appears, to people outside of Iran. Back in the fall, we spoke with someone we'll call Amin. He was out in the streets protesting in Tehran with his family and friends six months ago. He has since moved to New York, and now even a simple phone call home is an exercise in frustration. So I would say when we want to talk, around only around half the time it works. The other time I wanted to talk to my sister, we spent almost an hour trying to talk to each other. Every time we could connect, we would lose the connection after 30 seconds or a minute. And, you know, she just collapsed emotionally and she started crying and we had to do it some other time. And it isn't just Iranian citizens in the crosshairs. The government is also targeting anyone who's trying to help them, playing on their desire for solidarity. Like the case of the human rights worker in the U.S. working with Iranians, she got an email from someone posing as a journalist from the Washington Post. They were asking for help with a story and asked to meet her on Zoom and then sent her a link to the meeting. Sherrod DeGrippo does threat research, and she worked on this case. And she found that the link wasn't exactly what it seemed. You click the link and it looks like a login to Zoom, but in fact it's a login to a threat actor's landing page. So they're playing on camaraderie. 100%. That's the best way to do it. I think certain kinds of social engineering are most benefited by an idea of common goal because rapport is hard to build over internet communication. But you can have a little bit of rapport instantly if it appears that you're a part of the same circles. That's pretty smart. Oh, yeah. The threat actors are smart. They know what they're doing. Sherrod and others suspect at least some of these attacks are the work of some hackers with an unexpected name. They're called Charming Kitten. They're a hacking group linked to Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps, which appears to be leading not just the suppression of the original street protests, but the online offensive, too. After the break, are those new digital crackdowns working? Stay with us. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. In a lot of ways, the Iranian leadership's attempts to muzzle the opposition were easier during the street protests last fall. They could just detain and arrest people. Digital blockades tend to be patchier, which means things get through. 
like this video documenting defiance on the fringes of an engineering conference in Tehran. It ended up finding a much broader audience. This is Zainab Kazimpour, an engineer attendee of a conference captured on a cell phone video a few months ago. She's wearing dark skinny jeans, an oversized black jacket, and her headscarf is draped around her neck. And as she begins to address the crowd from the stage, an ordinary meeting became an extraordinary moment of protest. Zainab pulls a long, shiny ponytail onto her shoulder, and the crowd began to cheer. Zainab explains that someone just told her that in order to run for a seat on the organization's board, her hair must be covered, and she's having none of it. I won't legitimize an association that doesn't allow women in without a hijab, she said. Someone, somewhere, cuts off her mic in mid-sentence. And as she exits, she slowly unwinds her scarf from around her neck and tosses it over her shoulder. And the audience watches as it floats in midair and then softly lands in front of a giant portrait of Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Khomeini. This solitary moment of protest committed behind auditorium doors in a corner of Tehran might never have gone any further had someone not captured it on their cell phone and then posted it online. The video slipped past censors, found its way to one of those functioning VPNs, and then spread like wildfire. The government authorities seem to have caught up with her a short time later. Less than a week after that video went viral, Zainab appeared in a new one. This time, her hair was covered and her face was solemn. And she began apologizing for her outburst at the conference. And according to Iran Wire, an independent news service for the Iranian diaspora, the state has charged her with disrespecting the hijab. What we've seen in those cases is they sometimes don't try to punish people who are that visible because these are sort of one-off acts. What they do is they try to get these people to basically take back their act in some way. The problem for the regime is that even apology videos can't undo what is done. They don't make people unsee what they've seen. A prisoner unable to get water a woman engineer asking for equality. So those videos you're talking about are still getting out because, yes, VPNs are still um, working. But what's happening is that a, a user has to basically try four, five, six VPNs so they find the one that gets them online that allows them to use some application like WhatsApp or Signal or Telegram to get a video out onto a social media platform that millions will see it. The videos rack up views and likes and shares, and there's nothing the regime can do to stop it. Like this video, viewed hundreds of thousands of times. Five young women outside an apartment complex in the capital city, dancing in unison, all long hair and swinging hips, midriff showing. One of those choreographed videos for TikTok 
somehow slipping through the regime's fingers. Or this one, which is less catchy but powerful nonetheless. It shows a woman putting up a protest banner on a billboard over a highway in Iran. The traffic roars below her as she balances on the billboard scaffolding. And there are countless others. Run for your lives if you get any shelters, because we, the women of here, are not coming for you, you filthy, treacherous dictators. Ordinary people, ordinary videos, in extraordinary times. Who are these videos for? Do you think it's for the diaspora and the outside world? Or do you think even sharing them within Iran has an effect? I think that the answer is, is there for everyone, right? I think people who post these videos just want to be seen or they want their voice to be heard. There is one protest song that has been heard more than anyone expected. This is Baraye, or Four. It was posted on Instagram and then not only went viral, but won a Grammy, presented by the First Lady, Jill Biden. This song became the anthem of the Masa Amini protests. the first winner of the Recording Academy's best song for social change, Dushirveen Ajapur, an Iranian singer-songwriter. The video was viewed 40 million times in 48 hours. Suddenly, everyone seemed to be doing a Baraye cover. For dancing in the alleys and the streets, for the thrill and the fear of getting caught kissing. Coldplay performed it in a stadium in Buenos Aires. We're going to send this with love from here to Iran. And here we go. Accompanying a video of Shervin singing the haunting lyrics. Because we want to be free and play outside in the streets, he sings. Because we feel terror when it's time to kiss. Because of my sister, your sisters, all our sisters. Their voices are managing to bleed through because even an autocratic regime can't stifle human creativity. It can't stop people from building prisoner snowmen or from tossing a hijab at a conference or from giving voice to their deepest felt despair in a song that sweeps the world. Those sorts of things are impossible to silence. This is Click Here. Here are some of the top cyber and intelligence stories of the past week. 
A new leak called The Vulcan Files is providing new insight into Russia's cyber operations. Paper Trail Media and Germany's Der Spiegel led a consortium of reporters who got access to a leak of thousands of pages of confidential corporate documents from a Moscow-based cybersecurity contractor called Vulcan. The documents were given to a German newspaper by an anonymous leaker who claimed to be upset about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The Washington Post and several other organizations were given access and authenticated documents that appear to draw back the curtain on Russian intelligence agencies, including the notorious hacking group Sandworm. Some of the tidbits from the leak? Evidence that Russia's military has been looking to scale up cyber attacks and is testing new technologies to do so. Volcan appears to have built scanning software Russian hackers can use on networks to scan for vulnerabilities, and Sandworm appears to be a Volcan client. The contractor appears to have set up a training program so Russia can actually train more people to hack into the world's networks. Vice Society, the hacking group that made hacking into schools all over the world its calling card, appears to have been behind a ransomware attack on Lewis and Clark College, the liberal arts school in Portland, Oregon. The group took responsibility for the attack late last week, posting samples of passports and documents with private information like social security numbers, insurance files, W-9 forms, even contracts. On Friday, the school published a lengthy statement about the incident, confirming that it had been hit with ransomware and that after consulting with experts in law enforcement, it was not planning to pay the ransom. It also asked students not to respond to any attempts by the group to contact them. And finally, as tax time nears, researchers at Securonix are warning that hackers from a group called Tactical Octopus appear to be using tax-related email lures to plant dangerous malware. The group appears to be using seemingly valid employee W-2 tax documents, I-9 forms, and real estate purchase contracts to get people to download malware that gives the hackers wide-ranging access to devices. The attacks typically start with emails that contain password-protected zip files that look like they have tax-related information inside, things like titlecontractdocs.zip or JR client copy. They start dropping malware when the users click on the shortcut file. Click Here is a production of Recorded Future News. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, the executive producer and host of the show. Sean Powers is our senior producer and marketing director. Will Jarvis is our producer. And this show was mastered by Gabriella Glick. Our editing team is led by Karen Duffin and Lou Olkowski. Darren Ancrum does our fact-checking. And our theme and original music compositions are by Ben Levingston. We also use music from Blue Dot Sessions. And we'd love to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts. Or send us an email at clickhereatrecordedfuture.com. Check out our website with details about our shows and our whole show catalog at clickhereshow.com. That's a wrap for this week. I'm Dina Tuppelreston. We'll be back on Tuesday. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.